Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You're listening to the Wijha Initiative podcast. These podcast episodes are recordings of our past events that we hold in person on a weekly basis. We hope that by listening to the podcast, you'll be inspired to join us at an event. To keep up with our work, please follow us on Instagram. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا يا رب العالمين أما بعد. So we've been about two weeks ago we started a series where we've been covering um, some cognitive distortions that people fall prey to. Uh, last week we spoke a little bit about negative filtering. And uh, this week, inshallah, we're going to speak about the idea of should statements. So let's start by, you know, really uh, reminding ourselves that as human beings, it's very natural, we hold ourselves to standards. There's expectations that we hold of ourselves. And we do that in the hopes of improving. So I expect that I will accomplish this. I expect that I will by next year achieve this. These are expectations. Uh, and it's not intrinsically a bad thing. In our religion, we are taught to hold ourselves accountable. There's a famous saying of the great companion Umar, may Allah be well pleased with him, he said, anfusakum qabla an Hold yourselves accountable before ultimately you are held accountable on the day of judgment. And so in this very world, make it a habit to hold yourself accountable. And the scholars here generally encourage us to every single night, take ourselves to account, right? Before we go to sleep, ask ourselves, how did the day go? All right, did I, did I accomplish what I wanted to? Hopefully at the beginning of the day, we set out some goals for ourselves. And I don't just mean goals in terms of our school or career, but also spiritual goals. Um, Right? Social relationship goals, um, goals in, in terms of maintaining our own well being. So you start the day with these goals, and at the end of the day, you go back and you kind of you know, reflect on did I meet my goals? So the goal is that at the end of the day, when you look back, you can identify the mistakes, you can identify where you fell short, and then make a plan to improve the next day. They don't repeat that mistake. Right? And that way, slowly but surely, you grow as a person. The issue arises, and that's what we want to talk about today, is when those goals and expectations that we hold of ourselves, they're unrealistic. And as a result, they will cause more harm than good. Do you get what I'm saying? Um, so we... When I say unrealistic, I don't mean they're unachievable. But maybe they're not reasonable, given our circumstances. So, here's a question. What are some examples of unrealistic standards that we've heard people hold themselves to? You ever heard like a friend hold themselves to a standard that you're like, that's way too much to ask of yourself. Like, why are you doing that? Why, why would you expect that from yourself? Any ideas? Any, any, any examples you can think of? Yeah. Um, as to the reason why? No, no, an example of oh, sorry. Um, 
an, an unrealistic or unreasonable standard that you heard someone hold themselves to. Yeah. I need to make uh, six figures by 18 years old. Yeah. Yeah. I need to be, uh, I need to make six figures by the time I'm 18. Look, it's possible. The point is, is it reasonable to put that much pressure on yourself? And we'll talk a little bit about when you do set the standard, whether or not that's a good and healthy standard will be determined by its impact on you. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But for a lot of people, it's not always in your control to make six figures by 18, right? Because you could play your cards and those cards could fail you. You might not get the returns that you were hoping for on those investments. Do you get what I'm saying? Crypto crashes. And then your goals for being, when you're 18, what happened? It's not always in your control. You could put the effort in, but if you demand that I need to make this much by 18, well, then you're setting yourself up for a rude awakening, a very potential rude awakening. Okay, what are, what, what, what are some other expectations that we can hold of ourselves? Yeah. Um, I'm gonna lose 50 pounds in three months. Sure, yeah. Losing 50 pounds in three months, right? Um, that's a large number. Is it, is it the most sustainable form of weight loss, right? Um, and that's just, the issue really becomes, what happens if you don't accomplish this? And that's what we're going to talk about later on. But like when we start to tie our self-worth into these expectations, that's when it begins to be a real problem. Okay? So the idea of like, when should you be married by? Right? When should I have graduated by? It's a tough one for students. You know, when, when, when everyone around you that you, were, you entered university with is graduating and you still have a few semesters or maybe even a whole year, <coughs> it, it hurts. You start to really, you can take a real hit on your self-esteem and how you feel about yourself, right? Um, what I should be feeling right now Right? So someone passes away and six months later that person's still crying. They're still sad about losing that person. And what do they tell themselves? I should be over this by now. It's been six months. Do you understand? I should not be feeling this way. As we set the standard, this expectation of ourselves. I should be past this. I should be over that. Now here's the question. Why would we set unrealistic expectations for ourselves? Why would you do that? And I'm not blaming you, by the way. I'm just framing it that way. Any ideas? Yeah. Yes. One, one is the, the, what we consume. The standards that are set for us through the media that we consume. So you see people who are talking about their morning routine, starting at 3.30 a.m. And you wake up for Fajr and you go, what? You go, I'm wasting my time, yo. Like, I'm already behind. You get what I'm saying? And, and like, you have to, like, be realistic. A lot of that's not, it's not, it's not legit. Right? I've seen some, it's not, I talk about this a lot, I know. This idea of, like, morning routines, Productivity. How many of you have felt like, man, I'm not as productive as I should be? How many of you? Yeah, I think that's our society. 
It puts you on that treadmill of like, there's always more productive you can be. You're only listening to the audiobooks at like 1.5. <laughs> well, you should be listening, I'm listening 2.5 or three times the speed, you know? It's like, this is, this is, these are the ideas that are promoted. And then we internalize them. Really, we internalize them without even realizing. We, we may not verbalize and like say it, but in the back of our heads, if you're waking up for Fajr and feeling like, man, I'm so late. I should be up like, you know, way before this. Where did you get that idea that you should be up way before that? Right? It depends on what you consume. And you start to compare yourself to the people around you because you're noticing what they're doing. Um, and so, yeah, what, that's what marketing too, right? A lot of marketing will promote what? You should dress like this. And if you're not dressing like this, what are you? Like, what are you doing, right? If you don't look like this, then what is this? If you don't have this, what kind of a person are you? And so it's, it, you know, it really... Um, really, really subtly, without even realizing, it sets a standard in your mind of what you're expected to hold yourself to. And we just accept it. We don't critically say, wait, wait, wait. Why should I do that? Who says I should do that? Like, why would I want to live like that? Do you know what I'm saying? SubhanAllah. What else? What, what are other reasons? So that, that's, that's something to be very careful of. Like, what's the media and the, and the different ideas that we consume that sets standards in our minds, like anchors a certain idea, like this is what's expected, and then you hold yourself to that. And it can be very unjust. It can be very unjust. And people can be tortured by these standards, but you know, we, we, we adopt these standards. Okay? What else? Yeah? Um, like in your upbringing, you were taught to work so long so that you can be obedient. SubhanAllah, yeah, our upbringing. The expectations that our parents hold, the, par the expectations that the people around us held when it came to our performance. Number one, are you defined by your performance? You're only as valuable as how well you perform and the profession that you have. Look, talk to anybody in grade 12 right now. Isn't that their stress? That their self-worth is going to be defined by what university they get into and by what program they get into? Isn't it? Isn't that the classic? And the funny thing is, everyone who graduates tells them what? Employers don't even look at where you graduated from. They're just looking for experience, right? And then they're, they're, they're stuck. They're like, what do I do? And they don't know what to do either. But they tie their self-worth into this. Have you all seen people like that in grade 12? Not getting the same acceptance letters as other people and really it, it having an effect on their, on their well-being. How many of you all have seen people like that? Yeah. Because we internalize these standards, that our value is in these things. It's actually refreshing to see now a shift, a little bit. Have y'all noticed that? There's a little bit more of a push for the trades now. Y'all seen that? If you guys keep track of it, it's nice to see now a little bit more of a, a push from grade 9 to like, get into the trades. It's not just everybody needs to be in computer science and University of Waterloo, you know? Like, there's more to the world than that. Does that make sense? Yeah, so... The expectations that, whether it be our teachers, whether it be our parents, um, the people the, that, that, that are role models for us, the standards that they set. And we internalize those standards. And sometimes they can be unrealistic. 
or they can be unreasonable. They can be realistic, but unreasonable. Unrealistic would be something that's like, you know, like you have to do this to do this, and it's like, maybe that's just not what you want to do. Maybe you don't have a passion for it, but you're just trying to jump through somebody's hoops. And maybe it's unrealistic in that you can't even, you can't control the outcome. So it's unrealistic to, to demand that somebody bring about an outcome that's not in their control. Do you get what I'm saying? Like y'all ever had a situation in life, you apply to something or try to do something. The outcome's not in your control. You can apply. You can even look at yourself and be like, I am, to the best of my knowledge, I have all the requirements and I might be better, better fit than everybody else. And you still don't get it. What more could you have done? Right? What more could you have done? Nothing. And so, to hold someone to a standard that I, I will only accept if you get into that medical school, for example. Because you need to become a doctor, right? So, I'll only accept that you, you, accept, you get accepted into that law school. Or that medical school. And my value for you lies in your acceptance. That's way too much pressure to put on a child, on a student, who doesn't have control over the outcome. Who all you can really ask them for is, I demand that you put your best foot forward. That's all they have in, control, in their control. That's all they have in their control, right? If we're honest. So it's unrealistic to demand from someone what's not in their control. What's unreasonable? Unreasonable when we demand that things be a certain way regardless of circumstances. Regardless of circumstances. No, you need to be married by this age. What if the right person doesn't come along? What if I haven't developed in the way that I, I, I would hope to have developed? What if, you know, I just don't have the same resources that I had earlier? Like, it's unreasonable to demand, again, from, from someone, something that is a little volatile. It depends on so many different factors. And so the expectations of the people around us really inform what we expect from ourselves and where we place our own value. Right? This is the classic, um, you'll, you might have heard this in khutbahs and stuff, the classic... If you do really well in school, your parents are like, MashaAllah. And if you do terrible, they tell you, Astaghfirullah, what's this? I, you know, we, we, all that back to school shopping for nothing. And they like, get on your case, you know. But when it comes to like Quran, it's like no big deal. They don't even ask about how you're doing in Quran. And the indirect effect of that is what? We begin to realize that the love of my parent, I'm going to receive it based on my academic performance. Not whether or not I'm focusing on my Qur'an. So I could really waste my time in my Qur'an studies. And it doesn't really matter because my parents don't care. And so it's not that important. That's what we internalize. Qur'an is not that important. But academic studies or whatever, that's important. And so indirectly, just by the approval that we receive or the criticism that we receive, we begin to form certain values about things. It's important to notice, what did we develop? What are the expectations that we hold of ourselves? What about society? And society could be like the most unjust at times. Right? How should you look? How should you look? For you to be accepted. It's funny because we have a lot of rhetoric where people will say, no, but we got to accept everybody. But then, I don't know. 
The comment sections don't seem to reflect that, yo. To me, like, you know comment sections? They are like the human soul laid bare. That's what it is. You know all the stuff people don't say for politically correct reasons? You'll see all that in the comment sections. That means that people, politically correct, they'll be politically correct at work and everywhere else, but once they're behind a keyboard or, you know, on a phone with nobody, you know, some burner account, boom. Then you get to hear what people feel. And it's like people still hold, they shame other people for reasons that are totally out of their control. And it's sad. The, the, the standards that um, people hold themselves to because of what society tells them is, is the only acceptable standard. Right? You have to look a certain way to be accepted. Otherwise, no. Otherwise, do you understand? And society says this in many different ways. It's also in the celebrities and the role models that we have. That's why it's so powerful to see someone kind of go against the culture and reject all those standards. It's very powerful. Right, okay, you ever heard of this idea of introjection? It's this idea that you can adopt the views, the ideas, and the voices of those around you without even realizing. You hear something eno you know, enough, you start to believe it as your own idea. You know what I'm saying? So growing up, you heard something over and over again about you're not good enough because of this. Initially, it's like, yeah, that's what my so-and-so is saying to me, that I'm not good enough because of this. Eventually, you cut that person out of the picture and you say, yeah, I believe that I am not good enough because of this. It becomes your own belief that you've now adopted and totally cut them out of the picture. And you hold this belief yourself. And you might not even realize you've done that. Right? And, and so, you know, one, one researcher described this, this, the word should, you know, the tyranny of the should. I should, I should have been, I should have done this by now. Look at so-and-so, right? Comparison, look at so-and-so. Or I should have this, or I should be this, or I should look like this. I should have accomplished this. And there's a lot of shoulds. And here's where we can talk about the impact. Right? See, Allah Ta'ala has created within us feelings of guilt. And we, we should not try to eliminate guilt. Guilt in itself is not a bad thing. Because healthy guilt, like a healthy amount of guilt, it's going to be like this discomfort you have about something that you've done um, that's not in line with your personal values. Right? So like you've fallen short in something that you really wanted to, to do and now you feel guilty. Man, I, I, I shouldn't have done that. Or I should have done that. I could have done that. Right? And it's a reasonable thing. And the guilt, you know it's healthy when it pushes you forward. You know when you feel guilty and you're like, you know what, this can't happen again. Let me take some extra measure to make it happen. And so like you actually start to strategize how you're going to improve. That's when healthy guilt is fulfilling its purpose. And that's when the guilt is a healthy amount. Does that make sense? Once that guilt now becomes disproportionate, right? And we start to like, really hold ourselves to standards that are just not realistic. Meaning, an example would be that, if this is, if I accomplish this, then and only then am I worthy 
Otherwise, I'm not really worth much. Do you understand? We don't realize that, wait, I could be other ways and be equally as what worthy. If I'm not in that program, you know, and, and again, uh, this is a local community, so I'll talk about these things, but I heard this a lot at Waterloo in my conversations where students would say things like, man, I'm not in that program. And because I'm not in that program, I'm not really, I'm not really that valuable. You know, I'm not that smart. Like, like those guys are, mashallah, they're doing really well. And me, kind of like, like, they almost feel like a second class citizen in the school. Do you know what I'm saying? That's sad. That, that's terrible. I'm not saying, I'm not blaming them. I'm saying, that's so sad to see somebody place their worth like that. In something that, subhanAllah, down the line, man. You know, those of you who've graduated and see how things play out post-graduation. Man, it's unpredictable. Who lands what? Who ends up in what positions? You're kind of like, bro, was that all a lie that we were told? Like, people are ending up in the most, subhanAllah, places. Right? I just use subhanAllah as an adjective there. You see that? <laughs> Welcome to the grammar here. Um, but yeah. When, and, and so what, what that does, for like I've talked to people and it discouraged them. They, they kind of like didn't really care much about their studies because it's like, these studies are kind of worthless. It's not really worth much. Like that's, that, if I was in that program, I really would have been putting in effort. I mean, that's, that's a sign that the guilt now is actually destructive. It's holding you back. It's not, it's not motivating you to actually improve. If anything, it's taking away from your desire to improve. And then you have what's called shame. And this is when you have like an intense, painful feeling of being like intrinsically defective. It's not even just that I just never accomplished what I wanted to. It's like I am just a very incompetent person. I am a very worthless person. And when we feel that way, then there's no point trying. Because who are you trying for? A worthless person? It doesn't, there's no point trying. Do you understand? So shame then leads to what's called dissociation. Where now, we've, we actually really hate ourselves. And, and this, is, this is like one of the most, I would say, painful levels that people can experience. Right? Guilt is when you say, what? You know, I haven't done as good as I could have. And shame is when you say, like, I am the problem. Like, intrinsically, I am defective. And there's a big difference in how that... Because if, if something else is, is the issue, then there's hope that I can go and make an effort to improve it. If I am the issue, how am I going to improve? I am the issue. So there's no point, right? And so this can become very, very painful for people. Uh, because who do you have as an ally in the world now? Not even yourself, right? One is that you have other people as allies. And if they're not your allies, man, at least you can fall back on yourself, right? You know that self-talk? Yo, we're going to make this happen, right? Even if nobody says. But if you don't even trust the we, even the we inside's like, yo, forget it. 
it's not worth it. Then where is their hope for redemption and growth? And that's where shaitan really pounces on people. It really makes them feel like they're irredeemable. That's his goal. His goal is to make people feel irredeemable. Shaitan's greatest goal is to make people feel hopeless. Not only about paradise and forgiveness, but also hopeless about life. About life. You'll never be good enough because you don't have this. You'll never be good enough because you are fundamentally flawed. And that's what shaitan wants people to believe. Right? So there's different angles of what's called demandingness. Right? Sometimes we demand from ourselves. I should be over this. I should be able to do this. Sometimes we demand from others. You ever hold standards that are not realistic relating to others? You know what I'm talking about? Where your well-being is tied into how somebody else behaves? If it's a reasonable way, it's understandable. But if it's unreasonable, then what? Like, hey, the, the standard I have is you must answer my calls. That's me demanding from you a particular behavior. That's unrealistic. There's so many reasons why you might not answer my calls. But imagine I hold the standard of I am so important that you must answer my calls. And if you don't, it means you don't care. Um, any of y'all have relatives like that? who call you and just expect you to always be ready to answer your phone? And you're like, no, I was away from my phone. I was doing something. And they're like, what do you have a phone for? You know what I'm talking about? Or they give you the whole, you're always on your phone. So like, when I call you, just pick it up. And you're like, no, actually I'm not always. Like, sometimes we do things. So when sometimes we hold people to standards that are just not realistic. And then when we are let down, what happens? We feel really upset. And then we, 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 you know, we, we, we talk with should. This person should have done this. And they should have done that. And they should have done that. And a lot of these shoulds lead to great disappointment and pain. You know, it's another form of other demandingness. Is when we apply should to God. God should have given me this. God has to do this for me. God must do this for me. And we begin to hold God to standards. We begin to, we, we begin to hold God to standards. And this is actually a, quite a, a challenging thing for our faith. Because we are in no position to ever demand from God. We are servants. God is the master. He gets to determine what to give us and what not to give us. That's up to Him. We are in no position to demand anything from God. That's a teaching throughout the Qur'an. With God, we can ask what or how. We can't ask why. Truly, we're not allowed to ask that. I mean, you could say it, but God does not owe you an answer. He doesn't owe me an answer either. The Qur'an says, La yus'alu amma yaf'al. Allah is never questioned about what He does. Right? So we can't control what God does. What can you control then? You can control your response to what happens. Right? That's a very stoic idea. Identify what's within your control and focus on that. You cannot control what God sends your way. And finally, there's this idea of what we demand from the world. What we demand from the world. The world needs to be this way. The world should always be comfortable. 
I mean, the Qur'an tried to warn us about all these things, right? In the Qur'an, Allah told us about the nature of life. A lot of times, our pain is rooted in a fundamental misunderstanding about the nature of the world. And so, when the world lets us down, that's not unexpected. That's very much in line with its nature. When the world causes us pain, things that happen, different experiences that we have, this is very much in line with this world. And so what standards do we hold the world to? That's a question to ask as well. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about some strategies that we could use when it comes to these types of statements and these types of internalized expectations and standards that we hold ourselves to. First, let's walk through an example, okay? Let's say, let's say there's a mother or a father and they become really angry at their child. I would say most mothers or fathers afterwards feel regret. They feel guilty. And they have this idea of, man, I shouldn't have become angry at them like that. Sometimes the idea is what? I should never become angry at my child. Okay, just to identify, I have this feeling. That's the first step. Just to notice what those should statements are that run through our head. Or sometimes we say them too to friends, right? Like, man, I should have done that. Again, I'm not saying the should statement's wrong or that it's unrealistic yet, but you want to really analyze it. Even before analyzing, just notice that you, you do have these expectations of yourself. Okay, what could that lead to? Anyone? So this mother, she becomes really angry and upset with her child. Now she feels guilty and she tells herself, man, man, I should never get angry at my child. Where do we go from there? You could ask, the question you could ask here is what? What does getting angry at your child say about you, oh mother? And what could be a possible like, view that this mother holds? That if I get angry at my child, it means what? Sorry, someone said? I don't love them. Yeah, it means I don't love them. Okay, and if I don't love them, what does that mean? I'm a bad that I'm a bad mother. If I'm a bad mother, then what? God's not pleased with me. If God's not pleased with me, I'm doomed. And if I'm doomed, there's no point. Forget it. You see that train of thought? It's really interesting how this can happen. See, sometimes, and this is an interesting point about human beings, if you follow the same train of thought and you repeat it enough times, you actually don't have to consciously walk through each step. You can jump from the first and almost subconsciously go to the end. Do you understand? Without even realizing that you're walking through each step. See, right now, we walk through each step. This means this, this means that, that means that, and ultimately the final conclusion is, so there's no point. I'm just a terrible person, right? You saw how we walk through it? But if you do this enough times, you just jump the whole train. So you yell at your child, you're like, man, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, I'm a terrible mother. And you're, or, 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 I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just a terrible person. You see how you skip the whole thing? You can do that if you keep doing that. Right. Okay, what do we tell that mother? As an example. 
Number one, we tell them to notice. Hey, do you notice that after you become upset at your child, you feel guilty about it? They might not even notice. They might not even notice that they're doing that. As in like, they know they're doing it, but they're not fully aware. They're not able to kind of distance themselves and observe their behavior from like a distance, mentally speaking. Do you get what I'm saying? I'm using this example as a, of a mother or a father um, because I think the majority of us are not parents. So it's not so personal. Do you understand? But you can fill it in with whatever it is that you hold yourself to. And you can start to think about this. Okay, what's the first thing you, you ask the mother to do? Is Number one, just notice. Just notice what you say. Okay. And then, to analyze the statement, right? So in analyzing the statement, what, what are some questions we could ask? This mother has, for example, this mother has this idea that I should never become angry at my child. What are some questions we could ask to maybe try to, you know, analyze and assess the validity of the statement. Yeah. Why am I getting angry? Why am I getting angry? Okay. That's one thing to look at. But she's not so upset about why she's getting angry. She's upset at the fact that she is getting angry. Yeah. You have your hand up. Right. So... Me not wanting to become angry, why? What am I trying to accomplish by not ever becoming angry? What do I think not becoming angry will lead to? That's one question. You could definitely ask that question. Because maybe they have this idea that if I never become angry, then my child can be happy. But then we also want to question, and this is also a common pattern, is we start to hear mix in like all like black and white thinking or all or nothing thinking, where it's like, I should never become angry. Really, never? Never, ever? Uh, I think some gentle parenting might agree with that, but I don't agree with that. So I'm going to go with the idea of, I don't know if it's true that you should never become angry. Right? I, I believe that we do need to set boundaries. And that might involve a little bit of sternness or firmness. So I don't know if that's true, that I should never become upset. Yeah, should I ever be upset in a way that I'm out of control? Never. Ideally, never, yes. But if I'm very measured and I understand what's going on and I'm controlled in my um, discipline, you know, and I'm firm in the boundaries, I don't know if that's a wrong thing. Sometimes you set like unrealistic or unreasonable. I should never become angry. If you care about something, you're almost guaranteed to become a little upset about it. Almost guaranteed. The fact that you never become upset suggests maybe you don't care enough. Because it doesn't, it doesn't hit you deep enough. You're just like, oh, it's okay. Oh, that's fine. You broke your arm off. That's no big deal. Like, of course, you have to care, man. You understand? And that will lead to a little bit of pain. Okay, so that, that's something you could ask there. Is Number one, is your generalization... Is it accurate? Okay. Number two, where did this come from? That's another you know, analysis you could do. And that's, 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 that takes time. Where did I develop this idea that I should never become angry at my child? Where did this come from? How do I know it's true? 
Okay, the next step we could ask is, okay, fine, I've kind of identified what it is. I have some idea of like maybe where it came from. Now you can ask yourself, is this helpful to me? What is the effect of this? Every time I become angry, and then I feel like I should never become angry, do I leave that situation feeling motivated to improve? Or do I just leave feeling worse than last time? And so, if each time this statement is really making me feel more and more hopeless, that's a sign that this is not a helpful statement. It's not pushing me to improve. It's not helping me do better next time. If anything, I just feel worse and worse every single time. Do you see that? Okay. At that point, then, you want to ask, what are some alternative statements I could use? So maybe I should say, well, you know what? I should never be upset in a way that I'm out of control. Maybe that's, that should be the should statement I have. That I should never be upset in a way that I'm out of control. Or I should only be upset in a calculated and measured way and discipline the child, not in that moment of anger, but maybe afterwards when I've calmed down and I've thought through what an appropriate disciplinary measure is. Do you understand? And so like, you can start to develop more accurate and more reasonable standards for yourself. That if I become angry, that's part of what it means to be a parent. Now I need to try not to, you know, just constantly be triggered, yes, so let me make some effort on that, but it's not the end of the world. There are many good mothers out there who also become angry. There are parenting coaches who become angry. This is part of being human. And so you begin to create some room, you know, for grace with yourself. Do you get what I'm saying? It's like set, setbacks are part of life. If I don't get here, well, no problem. We can pivot and make it work from that angle. And to always have that mindset. And the last step would be really just how can now, now that I have a different framework and a different standard and expectation that I hold myself to, how do I actually implement this in my life? So the next time something happens, how do I catch myself and ensure that I don't fall into that train of thought? Now, this is not group therapy, yo. This is just me highlighting some ways that we could approach this. Again, accountability in this process is very, very, very helpful. That's why we encourage people to go to therapy. Because with a therapist, you can sit down and really, you know, draw up a plan. And then you can have someone that you're accountable to. The next week you show up for your session and you can share, oh yeah, we plan not to become, I actually became angry three times, but I actually caught myself one time. And then you start to see progress. You track your progress. And this is so valuable. Because if the relationships that you have in your life that might be negatively affected by these types of cognitive distortions, if they're important enough to us, then we will do the work, inshallah. You know, and we, we really should. And we really can. Should, man. Yeah, we really can do the work to, uh, to improve ourselves so that we can be better for the people around us. And ultimately, so that we can be good with God. So that we also, and religiously, there's a whole other angle here, right? Eh? What standard do you hold God to? Are you justified in holding God to that standard? Right? Where does that come from? And it's the you know, religious trauma there. Um, but let's stop. Uh, let's not 
go on and on, inshallah. May Allah Ta'ala grant us tawfiq to be people who are more self-aware. And self-aware in a way that helps us grow and that's not debilitating. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. ولكل وجهة هو موليها فاستبقوا الخيرات أينما تكونوا يأتي بكم الله جميعا إن الله على كل شيء قدير